Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the Financial Times Big Read, a weekly podcast featuring the best of our long-form reporting from around the world. I'm Anna Dedder from the Comment and Analysis Desk. Can China avoid the same fate as Japan? For decades, Japan struggled with the aftermath of the bursting of its property and stock market bubble, and many see parallel dangers now for China's financial security, say Leo Lewis, Tom Mitchell and Yuan Yang. But others believe Beijing is better equipped to grow its way out of trouble. China is the world's second biggest economy, and if it did implode, the global consequences would be immense. This report is narrated by Leo. There are a few things studied as closely by the Chinese Communist Party as how to avoid the fate of its Soviet counterpart. In an internal meeting after he assumed power in 2012, President Xi Jinping said no one in the Soviet Union had been man enough to stand up to Mikhail Gorbachev and Glasnost. But for Mr Xi, another historical event from the same era may warrant more immediate attention. It's just over 30 years since Japan began inflating a property and stock market bubble whose implosion ravaged public confidence, cowed corporations and scarred an economy for decades. China's priority today is to avoid that fate. It's not a new concern for Beijing. In 2010, as China's overall indebtedness was approaching 200% of gross domestic product, Mr Xi, then the country's vice president, asked scholars of the Central Party School to research the subject, according to two Chinese academics familiar with his request. A subsequent paper outlined some of the lessons of the Japanese bubble, including the need for Beijing to raise awareness of financial risks safeguard economic sovereignty and not give in to pressure to change its currency policy. Seven years on, China's total debt is 250% of GDP and climbing. Officials are trying to rein in sky-high real estate prices and the government is grappling with the aftermath of a stock market bubble that burst in 2015. Mr Xi last month warned the country's leaders of the need to safeguard financial security. But how great is the risk of China turning Japanese? Does China, the world's second biggest economy in 2017, run the risk of repeating the fate of what was the world's second biggest economy in 1989? Japanese-style lost decades. If Japan's fate were to befall its giant neighbour, the consequences would be devastating for the global economy. China provides 40% of its annual growth. China also supplies just over 20% of US imports, the same percentage as Japan in the mid-1980s. Naohiko Baba, 
of Goldman Sachs and other analysts suggest that there are lessons for Beijing to learn from Japan's bubble experience when laid out against spookily similar reference points ranging from corporate debt levels to average white-collar commuting times in China. Yet others, including Andy Rothman, an investment strategist at Matthews Asia, insist that there are far more differences than similarities. He says the only real value of the comparisons is to calm people down. A short answer, and one often favoured by both foreign investors with billions of dollars at stake and the Chinese state with 1.4 billion people, is that there is more to be gained from taking the bubble risk seriously than from assuming that this time is different. China has already hit various milestones that recall Japan in its late 1980s pomp. Some, such as the non-financial corporate debt-to-GDP ratio, reaching similar levels of about 155%, are technical. Others are more frivolous. Yasuda Kasai, the Japanese insurance company paying $40 million for Van Gogh's sunflowers in 1987, and Chinese billionaire Li Yitian's 2015 purchase of Modigliani painting for $170 million. To many observers, comparisons of bubble-like economic behaviour have always seemed within easy reach. Both countries have shown themselves capable of spasms of asset inflation, with similarly boom-and-bust-shaped price charts. And both have paid handsomely for overseas assets. Mitsubishi Estate paid $900 million for 51% of New York's Rockefeller Center in 1989, and CC Land shelled out a record $1.15 billion for London's Cheese Grater building earlier this year. Just one of the deals that has featured in record overseas spending by Chinese groups. Analysts are particularly intrigued by the similarities between Zytec, the financial engineering techniques used to boost non-operating profits that fueled Japanese non-financial corporations' speculative investment, and the Chinese equivalents that include wealth management products and trusts. And if the mark of a real bubble is that it spills into unusual assets, look no further than the spring crop price of Old Banjang, generally regarded as the finest of Pu'er teas. It has soared almost 90% over the last year to 15,000 renminbi a kilo, making it four times more expensive by weight than silver. In 1987, a similar cocktail of ostentation and speculative money propelled the membership fee of Japan's Kogane Country Club golf course to $3.5 million. The comparisons have felt more compelling as the warnings of a China bubble, or a concoction of interrelated bubbles, have intensified over the past four years. Fraser Howey, an expert on the country's financial system, says China has halved its growth rate and doubled its debt over the past eight years. It's not a great correlation. Yet there are some very specific points where the comparisons fail. Economic historians date the start of Japan's bubble economy to September 1985 and the Plaza Accord Agreement in New York that gave a green light to the depreciation of the dollar, paving the way for the market to take control. The yen strengthened from 240 yen against the dollar to 120 yen three years later. China, in contrast, carefully manages its currency and regularly cracks down on speculative behaviour, as it demonstrated in July 2015 when it controversially stepped in to arrest declines on the stock market. The Chinese state has a formidable arsenal of weaponry. That is unlikely to change. Another striking difference is the respective capacity to rebound from a big crash in property prices. When that hit Japan in the early 1990s, it was catastrophic because it lacked the engines to grow its way out of trouble. 
but China may have them. In terms of top-down economic planning, says CLSA equity strategist Christopher Wood, China is also attempting something that Japan never consciously signed up to, the move from an export-driven model to a consumption-driven model. A third distinction between China's present and Japan's past is the unique nature of the Chinese party state. Two-thirds of corporate debt is owed by state-owned enterprises to state-owned banks. As Macquarie analysts Larry Hu and Jerry Peng noted last year, China's debt is overwhelmingly owed by one government entity to another. Normal credit analysis fails in this context, given the government's capability in reshuffling debt within the system. But its expansion has also been much faster. In Japan, it took a quarter of a century for private sector debt to almost double from 125% of economic output in 1970 to more than 220% in 1995, according to figures compiled by Steve Keen, professor at Kingston University in the UK. China's private sector debt burden soared from 115% of GDP to more than 210% in just the past nine years. Eswar Prasad, a China finance expert at Cornell University, says... China cannot escape all the laws of economics, but it is unique in many respects. What makes Chinese officials nervous, however, is when asset classes from ginseng to copper start to look frothy. The same is true of investors drawn into the market by sustained Chinese growth, who are constantly looking out for similar red flags, particularly because Japan's late 1980s boom of property and stock speculation so clearly marked the end of the country's high-growth era. Japan's bubble did not just end badly, says Martin Schultz, senior economist at the Fujitsu Research Institute. It left scars that are still visible a quarter of a century later and show up in the form of a budget deficit maintained to keep the economy together. The clean-up of Japan's post-bubble financial crisis painfully delayed until the mid-2000s because of a stubborn reluctance to trigger corporate failures and mass layoffs, represents a masterclass for China in what not to do should it face a similar crisis in its banking system. Hidomichi Shirakawa, Credit Suisse's chief Japan economist, argues that the authorities' reaction in the aftermath of any China bubble is ultimately more important than whether one is inflating. That is where China has the most to learn from Japan. He says, the biggest post-bubble challenge is to restore confidence in the banks. If you don't kick a few out, it doesn't work. At a psychological level, the Japanese experience of watching the stock market triple in value between 1985 and 1989 corresponds with its modern Chinese counterpart. The ascent of assets has knotted itself around a deepening sense of national ascendancy. Peter Tasker, a fund manager and author on Japanese economic history, says a bubble is a euphoric ending to a long period of prosperity. It starts with sensible optimism and morphs into a sense that there are no limits. Every class of investor wants to participate. People become euphoric about their country. And Japan was a total bubble, with stocks and real estate inflating at the same time. The euphoria was social and political, as well as economic and financial. Mr Shirakawa argues that in both China and Japan, the sense of confidence comes from having overcome a threat that initially appeared devastating. In Japan's case, the oil shock of rising prices in the early 1980s, and in China's, the fallout from the 2008 global financial crisis. 
But, Mr Shirakawa says, there are differences too. In Japan, the Plaza Accord and a strong yen allowed the Bank of Japan to maintain an easy policy for a long time. The banks were under pressure and they took significant risk. In China, the confidence comes from thinking we've attracted huge money flows from outside the country and this will continue forever. Despite that, Beijing is well aware that financial risk, as one government adviser puts it, is the one thing that can sink the ship. It is also worried about disturbing demographic trends that, as in Japan, could depress Chinese savings and growth. Both countries have passed from a phase of demographic bonus to demographic burden, as the working age population aged 15 to 54 has begun to decline. For Japan, that crossover was in 1990. In China, it happened in 2012, marking the end of its demographic dividend. Mr. Schultz says, The Chinese are looking at demographics because they know now what Japan was not aware of at the time. Nobody was. We learned from Japan how quickly growth can stop when demography changes. In Japan and China, equity valuations both peaked at about the same time as their demographic bonus. This may suggest, says Mr. Baba at Goldman, that in the run-up to the peak of the bubble, the equity market has a tendency to excessively extrapolate the good times of the bonus period in later years. To the extent that some see compelling similarities between the inflation of the Japanese bubble and China's present situation, the focus has shifted to whether China is close to the same turning points faced by Japan at the start of the 1990s. Moody's, last week downgraded China's sovereign rating to A1, the same level as Japan, citing a large and growing debt burden. But the rating agency also upgraded its outlook for the Chinese economy and predicted that its growth potential would slow to 5% by 2022, a far better outcome than the sudden crash and years of stagnation experienced by Japan. In both countries, bubble-like behaviour has produced profound changes in the lives of millions of people. As the Japanese property and stock bubble neared its peak, the price of living in the cities skeetered out of the reach of the ordinary salaryman. By 1989, a modest 75-square-metre apartment, a 90-minute commute from central Tokyo, cost 8.5 times the average white-collar salary. Three decades later, China is witnessing an even more dramatic dynamic at play in its capital. The average cost of a 100-square-metre apartment in Beijing is more than 50 times the average income of local residents. This comparison is especially important, say analysts, because of the respective government approaches to the problem. On becoming governor of the Bank of Japan in 1989, two weeks before the all-time peak of the Nikkei 225 stock average at 38,915 points, Yasushi Mieno condemned rising property prices and long commutes, and in doing so triggered, many now believe, the subsequent market collapse. At some level, China appears to have taken the Mieno experience to heart and cautiously speaks in terms of containing increases rather than deflating a bubble that has transformed tens of millions of urban residents into dollar millionaires. But it is a finely balanced thing. Beijing's awareness of that fragility is clear. Mr. Xi recently warned that houses are for living in, not sp- Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy speculating on.